Good morning. Good to see each and every one of you here this morning. It is a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord and to, to see and to greet each and every one of you. I'm so grateful uh, for this opportunity to be able to come and bring the word of the Lord today. On a personal note, uh, I've been on sabbatical for the last couple of months, and so it is a joy to be back and to be officially back in the rotation and to... I was going to say give yourselves a, a round of applause, mostly because as a church you afford the pastors a time away, and it is such a blessing to us and to our families. And so as a church, I want to say my thank you, and I know Jen would echo the same words. It was just a great time for us to be able to unplug from ministry for a little bit, get a little bit of traveling in, go see our families, and to enjoy time with each other. And so thank you again. We are back in our series in, in Advent, um, Advent already, but not yet. But before I jump into our uh, series or our topic for the day, I want to take a moment to pray over a couple of uh, families here at the church. Um, and even as I'm praying, I'm aware of the many needs that are represented in this room. I'm sure if we, if we went around the room, there are plenty of things that we could be praying for. Here's my prayer. My, my hope is that our God is alive and active. He sees you where you are. He knows what you're going through. He is listening intently, and he is a God who answers prayers. And so seek him, and he will be found. Uh, a couple of families that we're praying for, one is the Kirchner family. A lot of you know Tim and Victoria. Victoria's dad, uh, Victoria's mom, I'm sorry, excuse me, she passed away on Sunday. Uh, many of you know Dottie, you've been praying for her. She was diagnosed with cancer and uh, just an incredible journey, an incredible life that was lived. Um, especially those of you who live in Burlington, you are very familiar with Dottie because she was involved in every aspect of uh, Burlington and so she will be missed. Um, uh, there is visitation today right after service at um, Sullivan uh, Funeral Home. And so if you go by there, spend some time with the family. Uh, pray for Victoria and her siblings and their family as they say their goodbyes. And also for Rosa Stefano and Vera Cacavaro. Uh, they lost their sister Rita on Friday this week. Um, Rita had been ill, but she suddenly... Um, passed away. It was very unexpected. So pray for Rita's husband, Mike, and their three daughters. Um, the family is definitely taking it hard. It is an incredible loss for them. And so if you're reminded this week, definitely do say a prayer for them. And for both these families, as they say their goodbyes, that they're able to grieve well and that they're able to grieve with hope. So would you join with me in, in, a, in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Even in moments of pain, even in moments of hardship and chaos, Lord, we thank you that you are still in control. Lord, especially we pray for these uh, two families and they're in the midst of loss. We thank you that you are still, you're still God. I pray that you would bring comfort and you would bring peace that is, that, that they are overwhelmed by your presence in these moments. Lord, even as they say their goodbyes, remind them of the wonderful times that they shared with their loved ones. Remind them of all the, uh, the joys that they had. Remind them of the hard times and the good times and how they came through it all. Lord, I pray that even as we grieve, we do not grieve as those without hope. 
And Father, for that, we are thankful. Holy Spirit, do your work in us today. Do your work in all of us as we sit and we hear the words that are spoken to us. I pray that your spirit would do your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so as I mentioned a moment ago, we are back in our series Advent um, already, but not yet. And here's, I know Pastor Rick talked through it a little bit about what this whole already but not yet means. Um, over Advent, over these next few weeks, we're going to be lighting these candles, especially the, the two that we lit this morning. Uh, we, we light these not because there's any significance with the candles themselves, but instead they serve as a reminder of what, what God has done. The different aspects of Christmas, especially as we come into the season of Advent, as we are preparing to celebrate on the 25th, the day that Jesus was born, as we're preparing to celebrate the work that he accomplished, that God accomplished through Jesus, there are different aspects of this season that we get to meditate on and that we get to reflect on. Last week, Pastor Rick walked us through this, the aspect of peace. And then how while we have peace, while peace came, we don't experience peace fully. And one day we know that peace will be fulfilled, that we will have peace in its, in its fullest form. And this morning, we're going to take a look at joy. We lit the candle of joy a few moments ago, and we're going to talk about the joy. Zoe did an incredible job reading and reminding us of that moment where the angels came and declared to the shepherds about the joy. And so we're going to jump into the scripture. We're in Luke chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, pull them out. If, you, if there's, there's a Bible in the, in the rack in front of you or follow along with the screen. Luke chapter 2, verses 8, this is what it reads. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And we're going to pause real quick there. But before I continue, I have a quick question for you. I know, I know that this is not the reason behind the season. And I know a couple of you are going to come find me and remind me otherwise right after the sermon is done. So before you do, let me tell you that this is not the reason, but... How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Wow, first service, oh, there we go. First service had a lot more of you. Um, but some of you are waiting till Christmas Eve, right? Yeah, it's no fun otherwise, right? Um, running from store to store, or it's too late for Amazon to drop off the package at that point. And so here's your warning right now. Um, Giving gifts, it's just a wonderful thing, a wonderful ability that we have or a wonderful thing that we do. It's a great way to recognize people in our lives, great way to appreciate them. I know it's a great feeling, and a lot of you know that feeling when you found the perfect gift for the perfect person or the person that you're shopping for. You, you wander the stores, and you find that gift, and you know, man, they, they would love this. And so you get it, you wrap it, it's under the tree or however you present it. And, but there is something, if you're like me or uh, my son, if you're like either one of us, this is, what, this is what happens in the Thomas household. We have a gift or we have an idea and there's something inside of us that just wants to tell the person, hey, guess what, we got you. Uh. Last week was Jen's birthday. 
And so myself, Judah, and Ava were making plans. Again, you can can imagine what it means to make plans with a two-year-old and a one-year-old or an 11-month-old. And so we're making plans, and we have these big plans of what we're going to do for Jen's birthday, what we're going to get her. And I, I tell Judah, I sit him down, and I was like, Judah, this is a surprise. Repeat after me. This is a surprise. And he does. And so, and we get through it all. And as soon as Jen walks in the door, he runs out, jumps out, and says, surprise, we're going to get you this. (laughs) Something was lost in translation there. There's something inside of us that just knows this person's going to love it. As you read through scripture, as you make your way from Genesis into into the Old Testament, you see a God who's very similar. You see a God who has a gift to give mankind. You see a God who encounters failure on an astronomical level with human beings, the people that he created. They disobey, they, they lie, they do all of these things. And in that moment, he has a plan for how to set things right. And in that plan is this gift that he's going to give humanity, this gift of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, he starts giving them hints and clues. And he's like, guys, listen, a gift is coming. And over the years with his prophets and with his people and in his scriptures, he's constantly going to remind them that one day this gift is coming. This Messiah will come. One day a child will be born. One day this will come into fruition. One day the Messiah that you've been waiting for, one day all of these sacrifices that you've been doing will forever not be needed anymore because one day that gift will come. And finally, that day is here. Luke chapter 2, we read, we read on that day, the shepherds, they were out in the fields and they're tending to their flocks. And, and it's interesting in that moment, it's worth taking a moment to pause and realize that who God is talking to. God is talking to these ordinary people. Nicole mentioned that they're ordinary people just interrupted in the middle of the night. Ordinary people, I would even go further to say they were a little less than ordinary. Because you see, in their culture in that time, shepherd, being a shepherd, was not the most glamorous of occupations. It was not very important in the, in the social structure, even though in the society that they lived in, their cattle and their sheep and all their animals and their farms, those were integral parts of their lives, yet they were not given the respect they often deserved. Shepherds would go off into the, into the, into the pastures, off into the hills, and they were often forgotten by society. They themselves had a very low view of themselves. And to them, an angel appears. And the first people to hear good news of great joy are to these shepherds. I bring that up for one reason and one reason alone. There are some of us in this this room today, there are some of us who feel like the shepherds feel. 
who've been forgotten by society, who've been ignored for the most part, and you've come into this room this morning, and you're feeling, what do I have to contribute? What do I have that God would be even mindful of me? And the story of Christmas, the story of Advent, the story reminds us that God went to the ones that everyone else deemed not important. God is mindful of all people in all circumstances, in all places. And wherever you may find yourself this morning, God is mindful of you. And that's the story of Advent. That's the story of Christmas, that God sees you. God is aware. This is what happens in, in verse 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, the Lord shone upon them, and they were filled with great fear. Because we're so familiar with this story, sometimes I wonder if we've lost the awe behind it. Because if you can imagine with me the scene that's happening in that time, there's this, there the, the shepherds with their sheep out in, the, out in the midst of the wilderness, in the pastures, in the middle of the night, and suddenly angels appear to them. And angels, in, if you read how they appear in Scripture, it's not just a simple person that comes up. It's a person there. They're, Right, they are. They 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 have the glory of God upon them, and they are uh, to a point almost frightening. When Daniel in the Old Testament, when he encounters an angel, his immediate response was he passed out because of how incredible that moment was, how incredible the glory was. And in this moment, Luke records that they see these angels, they feel and they experience the glory of God that shone in that moment, and they were filled with great fear. And to these people, the angel proclaims, verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is this good news? What is the angel bringing? The angel of God appears to these shepherds and he says, To humanity, to all people, great news of joy. Joy to the world, the Savior is come. The person, the thing that you've been waiting for all of your lives, as a matter of fact, your nation has been waiting for generation after generation as people, as you've been, you've been sacrificing, you've been living, and you've been in God's presence, and you've been waiting for this, you've been seeking this, and finally the moment has come. Jesus Christ is born. But one thing I don't want us to miss is the motivation behind it. You see, the motivation behind it is love. John records, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. He gave his only son so that when you and I believe in him, that we are inheritors of eternal life. For God so loved the world. Because in this moment, with this declaration, what God is saying is, I love you. I love you. I love humanity. I love you as a shepherd. I love you as people in this room. And because of that love, because this love necessitates that, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to give my son, and I know where this is going to head. This is going to head towards the cross, and yet we will do this. What God, what God is telling these shepherds in that moment is, I see you. I'm aware of you. I see the pain that you're going through. I see the brokenness you carry around. I see the shame that you're living under. I see all of it, and I still love you. Paul reminds us that while we were still sinners, he loved us, that he gave his life for us. He, as a matter of fact, Paul says, while we were his enemies, he loved us. And to those people, he says, the Savior is come. What is this love that God shows us? Love is an accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's need. Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's need. God looked at the situation. He estimated that there is no fixing the problem that exists. There is no bridging this gap that because sin had entered the world, there was nothing that you and I could do to fix this problem. And so estimating the need, he adequately supplies who? He adequately supplies Jesus in that spot. The Lord is come. But here's, here are the words that I hope we hear. Great news of joy to all people. To all people. All people means simply this. Everyone. Regardless of your background, regardless of where you come from, what you've done, what, where you've been, all of it. He says, all people Great news. So what is this great news? What is this work that God is doing? Because in the, it, it, my topic for the day is joy. Joy that you and I feel. And here's the, here's the tension that we feel. Joy came to the world. Joy appeared a couple of thousand years ago. Joy came onto the scene. And yet you and I live... In a place where, yes, we have joy, but we have pain. Yes, we have joy, but trials still exist. Yes, we have pain, but we still hurt each other. Yes, we have joy, but yet there is brokenness all around us. How do these two coexist? In 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, this is what Peter writes. And this is his description of what God, how God has loved us, and the work that God is doing in us. You see, all of us sitting here, we are a product of his work. There is something that's happening in you right now that you may or may not realize is happening. And this is God's work. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." And listen to this, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The joy that is inexpressible. The joy that you and I have. So before we get, into, get deeper into this conversation, we ought to bring to mind the difference. We ought to draw a distinction here because there's, there are two words that are often used almost interchangeably. Joy and happiness. Joy and happiness. Our English word happiness is rooted in the Latin hap, which also means chance, happenstance happenings. Happiness, in other words, is rooted in chance. Happiness is rooted in what's happening around you. So your happiness is based on your circumstance. Your happiness is based largely, uh, happiness is, is essentially a spontaneous response to the stimuli around you. When life is good, you're happy. When you get a promotion, you're happy. When your kids are doing well, you're happy. When success is around you, you're happy. This morning when I walked in, someone complimented me and said, hey, you look great, or I like your sweater, and I'm happy. I walk out, and one of you are going to say, I hated that sermon. I'm not happy anymore. <laughs> Happiness is very much transitional. It comes and it goes. It's based on the quality and the, uh, and the events of your life. Joy, on the other hand, especially Christian joy, is regardless of what's happening around us. Christian joy is not determined by a sense of our well-being. It is, as a Christ follower, you could literally have the world around you fall apart. You could have every aspect of your life come crum crumbling, crumbling down. You could have chaos. You could have sickness. You could have death. You could have pain. You could have trials and still hold on to the joy that is in you. And we see that in people all around us, especially in church. And when I've seen, I've come across, I've sat across the table in counseling situations. I've sat across the, I've sat across in sanctuaries and I've heard story after story of how life has fallen apart and yet the joy of the Lord never went out. The psalmist declares to us that the joy of the Lord is my, my strength. Joy is regardless of our situation. Joy is a state of being which flows out of our gratitude to what God has accomplished in our life. It is the deep-seated joy that is produced in believers by the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul, again, goes on to say there are, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit and there are fruits of the Holy Spirit. A fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, one of the fruit. He says it's something that is developed inside of you. It's something that is produced in you. It is not something that you manufacture. It's not something that you can comprehend yourself. It's not something that you make happen on your own, but it is instead a work of the Holy Spirit. It is not based on, God's, on your circumstances, but on God's grace. The key to a Christ follower's joy is its source, which is the Lord himself. If Christ is in me and I in him, that relationship is not a sometimes relationship. 
It's not a sometimes experience. Instead, it is an always experience. I am always in the Lord, and the Lord is always in me. Even if we cannot rejoice in our circumstances, even if we have every reason to be broken and, 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 and put down, we have reason for joy because God himself takes residence in us. We rejoice in the Lord, and since he never leaves us nor forsakes us, we have choice and we have a reason to be joyful. Our joy is rooted in God's love and his work in his people. God loves you, and God is working in you. Those are two truths I hope we take with us today, that God loves you, and he is at work in you. And because he's doing those two things, there is a joy that develops in us. There is a joy that is born in us. There is a joy that you and I can carry around that defines us, the joy of the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, how do you do it? And more specifically, how do you jump out of bed? Do you, do you have an alarm that, that wakes you up? Do you have a, a spouse that wakes you, kicks you up? Or do you have children that cry out in the middle of the night that wakes you up? How exactly does that work? See, at the Thomas house, um, especially with me, this is how I wake up. I, I'll give you a scenario. This year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to get back into running, I'm going to get back into the gym, I'm going to get back into shape, and, I decide, and, and we looked at our calendar and we decided, you know what, the daytime, with, especially with two little kids, it's too chaotic, too, too hard to set a schedule, and so I'm going to do it in the mornings. And so four in the morning, I decided I'm going to be out of bed, get downstairs, get on the, tra uh, the treadmill, or go outside, we're going to be running outside, so I decided that's what I'm going to be doing. Now here's how it works with me. I am not a morning person. As a matter of fact, I'm a late, late, late night person. The time I ought to be waking up is usually when I fall asleep. And so for me to wake up, I have an alarm set. As a matter of fact, I have four alarms set. So there is a 4 o'clock, there is a 4.05, there is a 4.10, and there is a 4.15. Day one of running, 4 o'clock, the alarm goes off, I go, tired. Four or five, the alarm goes off. I'm all right, I got to get up, I got to go. So did it, first day, success. Day two comes around. Four o'clock, four or five, four or ten. I'm like, all right, I'm out, I'm, 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 I'm up, I'm ready, I'm going. Day three rolls by, all four are shut. <laughs> now, here's the problem. I stop running at four o'clock in the morning, yet my alarm still keeps ringing at four times in the morning. I don't wake up, guess who does? She does. During my sabbatical, um, we had the opportunity, as I mentioned, we had the opportunity to travel, and we, we were able to go spend some time with family, go spend some time, take some time to ourselves, and we went on vacation and uh, did all of that. So one of our trips, we were traveling internationally, and so we, were, we had an early morning flight. And guess what time I had to wake up? Four o'clock in the morning. So this time, we set our, our alarms, Again, 4, 4, 5, 4, 10, 4, 15. We set our alarms. The alarm goes off. Guess what happens? Both Jen and I, we're up. We're ready. We're good. We're good to go. We're, we're, we're doing whatever we need to. We're packing up. We're getting the kids going. We're out the door on time. Now, let me ask you this. What was different? 
Circumstances are the same. Both, I'm waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning. But what's different between the first time and the second time? The motivation. Why I'm getting up. The reason for me getting up changed. And because of that, there was joy in the fact that I was going on vacation. And so for the joy set before me, I was able to endure the four o'clock wake up. And so I'm out of bed. Here's what joy is. Joy is the fuel for our present life in this world. Our joy motivates us. Our joy keeps us going. As a matter of fact, it's not us alone. In the book of Hebrews, um, Nicole read for us this morning. In the book of Hebrews, this is what it says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus sets the example for our life and purpose. He sets the example for our work. He endured the cross because he knew what the result was, the joy that was headed his way, the joy of us all being back in relationship with him, the joy of spending eternity with each other, the joy of his majesty, the joy of who he was. The cross stood in its way, and because the joy was set in front of him, he was able to endure that. See, one of the hardest lessons you and I are going to learn here on this earth is how to be, as Christ followers, is how to be joyful in the midst of our pain. How to maintain our composure and how to maintain our focus and how to maintain our joy in the midst of our trial and circumstance. James chapter 1, verse 2, this is what he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What is James saying here? He's not saying exist in this state of joy, but instead he's saying there are times, there are enemies to your joy that you will encounter. There is despair that you will encounter. There is anxiety that you will have. There are pains that you will encounter. There is brokenness all around you. And in those moments, what you have is a choice. What you have is an imperative that he gives you. He says, consider it joy. He's saying, choose joy. He's using a word that essentially means reckon or consider or deem. He's saying that it's not, he's not calling us to be joyful because our trial brings pleasure or that we should take pleasure in our trials, but instead that even though there is trial, we are still children of God. Even though there is trial, we know that God is working a bigger work in our lives. Even though there's pain, we believe in the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, saying that God works together all things for the good of those who trust in him. That your pain and your circumstance, that your trials, that's not the end of the story. That instead, through this pain and through the trial that you're facing, God is writing a bigger story. He is working patience. He's working steadfastness. He is working out character. He is working out something bigger than what exists in you right now. God is at work. 
And so he says, count it all joy. But the reality of life is that, yes, it is painful. Yes, it is broken. And that is the tension that we're going to live with. And I'd like to say that this tension will be resolved soon or in our lifetimes. But, but the reality is, till the day we meet the Lord, this tension will be maintained. That as long as we live in this sinful world, we're going to encounter sin. We're going to encounter pain. We're going to encounter this brokenness. But you see, the joy of Advent... The joy that came when the angels proclaimed, joy is here. That joy ought to transform our lives, ought to sustain us. Because you see, our joy is rooted, but our joy is also the fuel by which we live. But what happens when the enemies of joy attack you? What happens when anxiety takes over? What happens when the fear of the unknown takes over? Well, let me refer you to a sermon series we did a few months ago called Anxious for Nothing. And I'll draw your attention back to the passage we learned and we memorized and we explored together. This is what Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here's how to deal with the enemies of joy. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Another way to deal with the enemies of joy. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of the things that kill your joy, in the midst of the things that impact your joy, how do you deal with it? What Paul tells the Philippians, take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord with thanksgiving. Focus your mind on the things that, need to be, that you need to focus on. Fix your eyes upon Jesus just as he fixes eyes on the joy set before him. Fix your focus. In the days of slavery in the United States, there was very little for the slaves to be happy about. Their lives were filled with hardship. Most of us have read and we have accounts of what that looked like. Labor and endless drudgery, drudgery filled their day after day. They were often in want. They were often in debt, often in pain, lived a terrible existence. And yet, if you pay attention to the lives they led, if you pay attention to the music that was born out of slavery, one thing you will notice is full of life. It is full of joy. If you listen to the slave spirituals that we, that, that we have even today, that we often sing in our churches, if you listen and you pay attention to the words, what you're going to realize is that there was hope 
built into those words. That as those words escaped the mouth, it proclaimed a greater reality than the ones they lived in. A favorite is swing low, sweet chariot. And the stanza talks about when that joy and when that hope will come to fruition. And it says, this is one of the stanzas, I looked over Jordan and what did I see coming for to carry me home? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. A focus, a hope that was not, ex- that was not contingent on what was happening right then, but instead looked into the future. The powerful testimony of these songs is that of a joy based on looking to God and to his faithfulness. Paul acknowledges the pain and intensity of our lives. In Romans 8, 16 and 17, this is what he's writing. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. That's your reality. You're heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Two parts of the equation, we suffer with him. The story doesn't end there. You are glorified with him. Your suffering has purpose. Your pain has purpose. There is joy that can be held between that. Then he makes a a comparison between the afflictions we experience here and the joy that has been stored up for us in heaven. In verse 18, this this is what he writes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that that is going to be revealed to us. There is a glory that is coming, so hold on. Stay joyful. See, here's the reality. Joy is come. Joy came. That is our past. Joy made its appearance on this earth. We live in that joy. That is the joy that fuels our lives, yet we live in this tension of an incomplete joy. This joy will be made complete. Joy that is incomplete will be made complete at Jesus' return. Because you see, there is a second part or there is another part to our story as you read towards the end. Here's what the, the book of Revelation says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And this is the reality of this life. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. At the, G- at the coming of Jesus, we celebrate the first advent, always looking forward to the second one. Because what the reality of these candles are, yes, Jesus came, but Jesus is coming back. There is a second coming, and when he comes, the pain that you're enduring right now, the suffering that you're going through right now, it will be resolved. The injustice will turn into justice. The pain will be broken. The tears will be wiped away. The brokenness will be resolved. The brokenness will be put back together. That is our reality. That is our hope. Today, we have a joy that is overshadowed by our circumstances. One day we'll have a joy that will never be darkened or covered. Uninterrupted, perfect joy. No pain, no crying. In her book, uh, Kay Warren writes about joy this way. 
And I hope we take this back with us. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. I'm going to invite the worship team back and I'm going to repeat that once more. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. As we close this morning, I have a question for you. How's your joy this morning? How do you feel this morning? If you could measure your joy, where would it be? Some of us are sitting here feeling empty. Feels like we've been running on empty for a while. Some of us, we've never encountered this joy before. And perhaps you were invited by a friend or you're invited by someone and you're here this morning and you're hearing about it for the first time. How's your joy? It's not overly simplistic or unwise to start with the most important thing. Because you see, as Christ followers, all of us, here's where we started. We started by giving our hearts to Jesus. We started with the decision. Romans 1.16, this is what Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is power. Salvation is power to change and to transform your lives. Whatever you may be facing, the brokenness that you're carrying around with you, the shame that is written all over you, the pain that you are walking around with, that is addressed here in the gospel. If you've never put your trust in the Lord, if you've never made a decision for Jesus, to allow him into your hearts, to receive the joy that he has for you. I would invite you to do that today. Before you leave, and as the, as the team is going to lead us in just a moment, in a song of joy, let's take a moment to reflect. Let's take a moment to look deep and look honestly. Where's your joy? How's it doing today? Would you open your heart to receive the gift of joy? Would you open your heart to receive the gift of Jesus Christ into your lives? Because here he is offering it to you. Romans 10, Paul writes, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Everyone. If you are here within the sound of my voice, God is calling out to you. Will you receive this gift? But here's the reality. That's your decision to make. You make that choice. So this morning, here's how we're going to end. I'm going to say a word of prayer in just a moment. But as I do, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to ask every eye to be closed and every head to be bowed. 
And if you've never experienced that joy in your life before, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, if you've never asked Him, if you've never received that gift that God gives, today's the day. I hope you don't leave without receiving it. I hope you don't leave without encountering God this morning. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you would like to, receive that gift. Throw your hands up right where you are. Just throw your hands up and we'll say a word of prayer over you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for each and every person in this room today. Thank you for the souls that are here, the souls that have encountered you, the souls that have experienced you, the souls in whose lives you are a reality. I pray your blessing over all of us. I pray your joy over all of us. Lord, that joy that, that does not change based on what we're experiencing, that does, not, that does not fluctuate, but instead is the fuel that drives us. Lord, I pray that your grace would be over all of us today. Father, I thank you that our joy is rooted in you, in your love for us, in your work towards us and in us. Thank you for the fuel that helps us, sustains us, and drives us. And thank you for the joy that will be made complete. Father, we live with this hope. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship?